Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. So grateful to be able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together and be reminded together that we're a bunch of sinners and in need of Jesus' salvation. And so by grace through faith, we can be forgiven and set free. And we have the Spirit of God living inside our hearts as believers. And we have the Word of God to open up and be instructed and guided in. So really grateful to be here together. Last week, we started a new sermon series in the book of Titus. And you'll remember, or maybe hear this for the first time, Paul's this great sort of speaker, an orator. He's a great presenter and a writer and thinker. And he travels around his community telling people about Jesus. In his travels, he bumps into this guy named Titus, shares the goodness of Jesus with Titus. Titus comes to know Christ and joins Paul in his travels. And they go from place to place, sort of spreading the good news like you would do about a restaurant, spreading the good news of a great restaurant or a great sports team. They travel from place to place, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul leaves this guy Titus in a place called Crete, which is an island, and says, Titus, I want you to do some work here. He leaves, and later he writes him a letter, and that letter that he wrote is the letter in the Bible, New Testament, that we have called the book of Titus. And so we started looking at this together, and today we're gonna look at the specific assignment that Titus has from his older friend Paul. If you have a Bible, Titus chapter 1. Verses five through nine is what we're looking at today. Open up electronic paper. Love for you to follow along. Really great to open your Bible on Sunday, but may it not be the only day. May we open up our Bibles all the time because in it we have the truth that changes us from the inside out. Beyond traveling around telling people the good news of Jesus Christ, Paul spent his time strengthening those who put their trust in Christ and encouraging us through this letter, to do more than just call ourselves Christians by name only. Last week we talked about this. Lots of people say they're Christians. But Paul says, I want you to be credible Christians. What is a credible Christian? We looked at this last week. It's a person who's growing in the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. It's taking the truth that we're sinners, taking the truth of the Bible, putting our faith in Christ, and applying the truth of what the Bible says to our lives that we might become more like God, God God-likeness, having the heart of God. Lots of people say they're Christians and they don't have the heart of Christ. Why? Because they're not taking the application of the truth of God's word, applying it to every aspect of life and being transformed by the Spirit into people that look and act like Jesus, have the heart of Jesus. We want to be believable, credible Christians, not just Christians by name only, who kind of call ourselves Christians, but we're actually been changed by Jesus and we start to look like him. That's credible. Starting in verse five, Paul explains to Titus exactly what he's supposed to do. He says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest game. Rather, 
He must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Paul is the king of run-on sentences. Here in verse five, we read Titus's job description. It says, I left you in Crete to put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. Remember, he's this super well-spoken guy who shows up in town, kind of sets up shop somewhere and starts telling people about Jesus. But he's a great speaker and communicator, super smart, and people are drawn to listen to Paul. They want to hear what he's got to say. Great orator. And so they're listening to Paul talk about Jesus. Paul's connecting Jesus to all the Old Testament, to all kinds of stuff, eyewitness accounts, all kinds of stuff. And people either decide to listen to him or reject him. So people go, yeah, I really think what Paul's saying is cool. I'm gonna put my trust in Jesus. And they get baptized. Some people go, this guy's a whack. Like, and they go, I'm not listening to this anymore. And they leave. Some people choose to believe in what he says, and some people reject what he says. The people that believe what he says become Christians, Christ followers. They gather together in a church, and a church is just a gathering of people that say, I believe. And Paul, in all doing this, he's blazing a trail from Jerusalem into the ancient world telling people about Jesus. He brings Paul and Titus go to Crete. He leaves Titus there, and he says, here's why I left you there. Put in order some things left unfinished. He didn't finish. It's like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving you to put things in order. And what's unfinished, he's going to explain throughout the rest of this letter. We're going to dive in together. But he also makes a specific comment to Titus. He says, appoint elders in every town where people accept Jesus. Small gatherings begin to form. Titus, your job is to appoint elders among this group of people because any group of people that starts to gather needs leadership. Without leadership, things get crazy. And so Paul's like, no, in order for people to grow in godliness and to become credible as followers of Christ, we need leaders. He says, appoint elders in every town. And when he says elders, it isn't like, hey, Titus, like, go into the kind of room and see who's the oldest. Like, right? Look for the wrinkles and the bad eyes. Look for the gray hairs. Like, no, he's not talking about age. He's not saying pick out the oldest people and make them the leaders. The term elder throughout the Bible refers to qualified men called to lead God's people. Qualified men. And I know you might hear that and go, wait, that is so archaic sounding. Qualified men? Yes, qualified men. Not because men are smarter or more godly. Honestly, Josie Joe here, if you went into a group of Christians, you'd find more godly women than you would find godly men. So this doesn't make much sense, but it's what God teaches from the beginning of the Bible to the end that men are called by God to lead their homes and to lead their churches. And under the headship of male elders in a church, women and men partner together to advance the kingdom in every possible way. It's not because there's superior worth or value or gifting. It's not about that at all. It's simply order established by God that men are to be men, distinctly male, to the glory of Christ. And women are to be women, distinctly women, to the glory of Christ. And in partnership together, we create the image of God on planet Earth. It's not a matter of worth or value. And this is one of those moments where you could agree or disagree. There's lots in the Bible that I agree with or disagree with, but if the Bible teaches it from beginning to end, whether I like it or I don't, I believe it and follow it. Not better whether I like it. 
So when Paul says, Titus, I want you to appoint elders in every town, he's talking about qualified, godly men. And I want you to notice that he uses the word elders, plural. I want you to appoint qualified elders, plural, because any individual male is gonna go rogue. He says, I want you to make a group of men who can hold each other accountable. Go establish a group of qualified men, and he says, in every town, not in every region, because these leaders are supposed to be local, close, connected to the people of God. Next, Paul's gonna define what a qualified elder does and does not look like. He says, you'll, you'll notice in this text, he uses the word elder and overseer, overseer interchangeably, and he's gonna use the word blameless twice. Verse six, an elder must be blameless. Verse seven, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. What does blameless mean? Blameless doesn't mean perfect, doesn't mean without blemish, because who could do that but Jesus himself? It means, blameless means marked by no disgrace, above reproach, above blame. It means there's no surprises, no secrets. Certainly in the life of any leader in the church, there's going to be sin, but there's no pattern or lifestyle of sin. No secret scandals, no blemish or scandal that's hidden, that if you threw an accusation at them, everyone would be surprised by it. No, no secret, no lifestyle, no scandal, no blame. This is Paul's way of saying, I want you to appoint credible leaders who are pursuing godliness, who aren't perfect, but they're growing more and more godly every day, and there's nothing in their lifestyle, if you threw an accusation at them, that would stick. They're marked above reproach. This is what he says to appoint in churches. And then in the next set of verses, he gives a number of categories of this high standard. He says, elders must be blameless at home. Verse six, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Why? Because there's something about our personal lives at home that display true leadership, that display true character. What kind of decisions do you make at home? Who are you at home when no one's looking? What do your roommates say about you, your family, your children? Many times people live double lives, right? They live and act one way at home, they live and act one way at school, they live and act one way at church, and Paul says not that way in the church of Jesus Christ. The leaders of the church of Jesus Christ have to be blameless at home. If they're married, they die for their wives like Christ died for the church. If they have children, their children, you can't make your children follow Jesus, but you create an atmosphere in your home where your children see Jesus in you and your wife. The overarching teaching of the Bible is that our homes, our personal lives, are the testing ground of our leadership. And if we can't lead with credibility in our own homes, he says, you are not fit to lead in the church of Jesus Christ. He says, elders must be blameless at home. Next, he says, elders must be blameless in character and conduct. Verse seven, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. He's saying in all these different ways in your character, the, the application of what God says in his word has to start applying to all these ways you're not drunk or violent or greedy or self-absorbed or overbearing. Instead, verse eight, he must be hospitable welcoming, opening, serving people, one who loves what is good, not who loves what's evil, who's self-controlled, not abrupt or impulsive, upright, holy, 
disciplined. Elders must be above reproach in all of these ways, in character and conduct, in home, at work, at play, everywhere, every moment, at every day. Pretty high standards, right? Lastly, he says an elder must be blameless in doctrine and belief, verse 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught so that he may encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. He's someone who knows God, knows God's word, and first applies God's word to himself. Because the only way you'd be credible is if you take what God says and apply it to your own life and live it out in such a way that you're trustworthy or believable, that when you talk about it and teach about it, it shows you're connected to God. You live it out so that you can encourage people and shepherd people. But he also noticed that he says you can also refute people because there's going to be people, and Titus is going to talk about this, the rest of his, this letter is going to be talked about, how there are people that are off by one degree in their teaching, and that leads you to a totally different continent of religion. If you're off by one degree, and so Titus is saying to him, these leaders must know God's word, know the truth, so that they can encourage people, but also so they can rebuke or defend or refute the truth to those who oppose it. Elders must only be blameless at home, blameless in character and conduct, blameless in the truth and know the truth in their own lives. Anybody want to sign up? Like, who the heck can do this, right? So you look at this standard, it's super high in life, in doctrine, at home, at work, in play, in all these attributes and categories. How could anyone live up to this standard? And the answer is no one can. No one could live to this standard. Absolutely no one without the help of the Spirit of God living inside them, without incredible amount of humility and a willingness to follow Jesus. Without Jesus' help, there would be no blameless elders in any church, but with humble hearts longing to grow, there are people that meet these qualifications, not perfectly, but substantially. And if this is God's standards for the leaders of his church, doesn't it make sense that maybe we as followers of Christ should all look at this standard and go, you know what, maybe I should walk this way. Maybe I should humbly pursue the standards that he's holding leaders to. As you humbly walk with Christ, wouldn't it be great if we were not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain? If followers of Christ were not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, how much more credible would our Jesus be in our community? Instead, if we would strive to be like elders, hospitable, welcoming, serving, love what is good, we're self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. These all demonstrate that God is alive. With his help, we can all become more like this. The point of this is all leadership cred, right? Churches that grow in godliness are led by leaders who are godly. I know this is oversimplified, but churches that are led by godly people grow more godly. If the leaders of the church of Jesus Christ are not held to the highest standards defined by the Bible, then what will happen to the people of God? Ungodly leaders produce ungodly churches. If leaders can do whatever they want at home and come and lead a church, there's gonna be a problem. If leaders talk about generosity but aren't generous people, there's a disconnect and a problem. 
If leaders say, don't be drunk on wine, but live as closet alcoholics, then there's gonna be a problem in the church of Jesus Christ. When in our homes, in our schools, in our churches, in our governments, we lower the standards for leaders, what becomes of homes and churches and cities and communities? We need these higher standards. If our leaders are overbearing, quick-tempered, drunk, violent, pursuing dishonest gain, then what will happen to the people? But if our leaders are hospitable, love what is good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, then that leads to people who are higher, better, credible, godly, because godliness is contagious. But lack of godliness is also contagious. It's why Paul starts this letter to Titus and says, appoint a group of elders in every town who are blameless at home, blameless in their character, blameless in their conduct, blameless in their doctrine, blameless in their belief, because that group of people has the chance of growing godly, credible people and producing a godly, credible church so that the world would look at the people that call themselves Christians and see that they are actually godlike in substantial, not perfect ways. Can I encourage you to pray for the elders of Faith Church? You go, I don't even know who those dudes are. I don't really care. You don't know who they are. Can you still pray for them? I do care. But it's like, whether you know or they don't, would you pray for them? I mean, I work with these people all the time and interact with these men. They are godly, humble men who wants to honor God in their homes, in their workplaces, and in this church. And the task that they have is high and hard. Would you pray for the elders of Faith Church? And I want you to remember that Paul left Titus in Crete, right? So he leaves Titus in Crete, and he says, uh, Titus, I want you to do the work that I left unfinished, that I didn't complete. I want you to appoint elders. Do you think anybody in that local church was like, hey, we're really happy that Paul's leaving. Thanks for Titus. They're going, no, we want Paul. Why would you leave us Titus? We don't dig him. We want Paul to stay. But Paul had a different job description. Romans 15, 20 tells us Paul's job description. It says that in every place, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So Paul, rather than staying, he was this pioneer who kept going. It was his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. That wherever he went, he just kept going and Continue to pioneer, continue to preach the gospel where it's not known. Honestly, Romans 15, 20 is why I left the Garden State, the land of milk and honey, the great New Jersey, to come to Pennsylvania. The reason I left New Jersey and relocated my family here in 2015 is because Paul's ambition was to go and preach the gospel where it was not yet heard. And this church uniquely drew me here because it is committed over its entire lifespan as a church to be the kind of place that isn't content with just caring about the people that come to this church and disciple the people coming here, but cared about taking the good news of Jesus out into the world to all kinds of places around the globe. That commitment was attractive to me, and I wanted to be a part of a church that said, I want to go beyond Allentown and take the good news as far as we can take it. And you may or may not know this, but Faith Church supports 21 people who are like Paul and Titus, who are around the globe, here in the United States, and all spread out all over the place, a number of families and individuals who are blameless, who are credible in their Christianity, who are not perfect, 
but substantially hearing the call of God and like Paul and Titus saying, I'm going to leave my home and tell people how great Jesus is so that people around the globe can hear about Jesus and follow Jesus. Back in 2015 and 2016, Faith Church elders took a time, about 18 month period to ask the question, what is God calling us to do in our reaching of the globe? And through discerning and prayer, the elders made this incredible decision to say, we feel like as a church, we are positioned to take the good news of Jesus Christ to people who have no access to Jesus now. Did you know this? Just think about this for a moment. Right now in English and in Spanish, you can read a Bible You can listen to all kinds of Christian broadcasting. You can go to a church and hear the good news, the truth of God's word in your own native language. But there are currently 3,000 people groups, 3,000 language groups of people who have no Jesus in their language. They can't go and find a church, anybody in their culture. They can't read a Bible in their own language. And that matters to us. Those people don't have access to Jesus. What happens to them? God has a heart for them, and so we have a heart for them. And we decided in 2015, 2016, that we were gonna raise up people from Faith Church who were willing to go and take the good news of Jesus to places that have never heard about Jesus. But you gotta know, this is a really hard assignment. It's long, it's hard. There is incredible political, social, cultural resistance to this. The workers that go to do this work among 3,000 language groups face all kinds of resistance and risk to go and learn a language, live among a people, translate a Bible into a language, and start churches among the people groups that have no access right now, incredibly dangerous and difficult. And I am so excited to tell you today that this week we're sending out our first worker, first of many, into Southeast Asia to begin the work of learning and loving and translating the gospel of Jesus Christ into a language group. Savannah will leave this week to learn and travel to Southeast Asia and begin this hard work. And so we have the opportunity today to pray for her and to send her on her way with our support and love But because of security risks, our online family, we can't actually show this to you online. And so you're gonna get a chance online to pray for her in a different kind of way. But what an incredible opportunity to say as a church family, we believe the good news of Jesus Christ is intended for the globe. And we are committed long-term to sending people who are willing to take this, translate it, start churches around the globe because God's heart is that people from every tribe and language, every generation, every ethnicity comes to know him so that we could spend eternity with the family of God forever. And so I'm so thankful for our global partners, 21 of them now plus one, who are all growing and serving, incredible, and we have the privilege of getting behind this. So let's pray together. God, thank you for Titus, who is faithful to his call in Crete. He established elders who were blameless. Because of that, the gospel of Jesus Christ spread in the church. Because of what Paul and Titus did, people in Europe heard about Jesus and left Europe and came and started the United States Because of people being faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Faith Church was started, and elders have been established here over many years 
who faithfully taught the word of God so that we could hear and now we could have access to Jesus and we could find and follow Jesus. Please, God, be with the elders of Faith Church and the elders of every church around the globe who are trying to be blameless in a world where it's difficult to be blameless. Please watch over and protect our elders and our leaders. And God, I thank you for the 21 partners, now plus Savannah, who are willing to go and leave their homes and share the love and the message of Christ with people. This good news cannot be contained to just us. It must go. And so we want to stand behind our workers. We ask your blessing on them in every way, protection and care, that you would provide for them and keep them establish the work of their hands and meet their every need to the end that many people from every tribe and nationality and generation would come to know you and join a great celebration that will be without end around your throne in eternity. Give us eyes to see bigger than today to the eternal things you want to do through us. I pray this in Christ's strong name. Amen.